coming to you from a library basement at Georgetown University, it is Kevin and Zach. And this is CCT. The groundbreaking new podcast by Novus, the academic journal of the CCT program on campus. We'll be discussing issues relevant to communication, culture, and technology. We are joined by our first ever guest on the show, Kim, the assistant editor-in-chief of Novus. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Kim has a background in film production, and she is here to talk to us about how television and film can affect identity formation in the digital age. Wow. A lot of introductions. And we all seem so incredibly certain of our identities just with the statement of our titles and names. Uh, But how do we get here? What makes up your identity? How does our digital environment affect the way we develop, process, and adapt our identities? Today, the tea will tell. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. So let's dive into it. Uh, Kim, we'll go ahead and start with you. Uh, Why are TV and cinema so important to identity formation? We obviously all watch a lot of TV and movies these days with Netflix and Hulu and other streaming services. Uh, Why is this so important? It's intrinsically linked with our identity formation, and it's not just for digital natives. I mean, because film and TV has been around since before like social media and the digital age. So I guess the first thing that leads me to that is a very big news in the film and TV industry, entertainment industry in general, um, is the death of Stan Lee, who uh, passed away on November 12th. And he's a famous writer, editor, publisher, um, basically creator of what we now know as like the modern Marvel world. And there's a quote that's really important that he says, which is, I used to be embarrassed because I was just a comic book writer while other people were building bridges or going on to medical careers. And then I began to realize entertainment is one of the most important things in people's lives. Without it, they might go off the deep end. I feel that if you're able to entertain people, you're doing a good thing. So essentially he's saying like, it's just as important because what we consume through film and TV is it shapes the way we think, the things that we want, um, the things that we fear, et cetera, et cetera. So Marvel has actually done a lot in terms of like creating new characters and trying to create more diverse and more relatable characters who are either people of color, who are LGBTQ, um, who have certain disabilities, etc. I mean, the biggest identity formation, it, you know, within your life uh, growing up happens obviously when you're young, when you have this like coming of age period. And also as a young child uh, in elementary school and middle school, you're very susceptible to like the way things are in film and TV. So the narratives, like the high school narratives, like I, I think... A lot of people, by the time they got to high school, I had this expectation of I, I couldn't be a loser. I had to be one of the popular girls. I had to dress a certain way, talk to boys a certain way. And that was because it was just plastered in every single high school narrative that I would watch. But for, for kids, like, 
I see, I saw this whole phenomenon happening when Coco, the Disney Pixar movie, came out. Mm -hmm. And I got very emotional this Halloween because I saw a bunch of like friends and family friends with young kids who would dress up as the main character in Coco, the little boy. And I was like, oh, this is so cute because for the first time, you know, normally they would dress up as Spider-Man or, you know, as some, something that doesn't refer to your cultural identity. But for the first time, there's this character that's in the mainstream. So we would have characters who were, we would grow up watching in Spanish-speaking homes as, like, very niche, you know, shows. But this is the first time that everybody would get the reference if you're wearing that red hoodie and a little guitar. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like it's like the mainstream culture telling you like, hey, your identity is valid, which is good in a way, but it's also bad. It has its downside because the problem is it borders on the line of like homogenizing a whole category of people like this is what a Hispanic or Latinx person looks like. This is what an LGBT person looks like. So. Mm-hmm. For example, in my culture, my whole family's from Honduras, and we don't celebrate Dia de los Muertos. Like, we don't, that's not a holiday for us. So I came to learn that because I had Mexican friends, and yes, the largest population of Hispanics in the U.S. is Mexican, but I related to the film because of, like, the Spanish and the cultural traditions and values, but the, the main holiday itself that it's about, I never celebrated it. Mm. So it's like every every other quote-unquote culture wants to have their representation so it becomes very difficult to tell these like fully fledged stories that represent everyone it's impossible how do you think we do that though Ken? (laughs) because i want to see myself represented in film and television but i'm i'm almost always disappointed by like queer representation in popular media because it's like, oh, cool, I get like excited because I'm like, oh, this is, there's a gay character in this. Uh, I'm gonna watch it regardless of how bad it is because it's like, oh yeah, gay representation. And it makes me feel like seen a little bit, but then I'm almost always disappointed because I'm like, that's not completely representative of my experience. So do you think it's like a case of because we've been yearning for accurate descriptions of our lives for so long if it falls short of exactly reflective we're disappointed or and like obviously I'm projecting because our experiences are not the same at all um but yeah hit me hit me with your thoughts my thoughts well I think about this a lot as somebody who has written and I and I aim to like write very conscious works of media that will reflect uh actual diversity and actual you know on a a more realistic level i think film and television and identity formation through it has shifted so much since like the tools became available for people like you and me to create our own movies and our own user-generated content on youtube like a show like insecure for example um which is about like the experience of a young black woman um you know, post-college, it's something that it didn't exist in the mainstream. It's sort of like a sex in the city, but for black women. And before that, there was sex in the city, and then there was girls, which was a little bit less problematic, but still high-key very problematic. Um, And then uh, Issa Rae was like, 
I want to do my own thing. I want to tell, I want to show what it really looks like to be a 30 something. And she did it. She just grabbed her friends, created this crazy YouTube channel. And, and then like Pharrell Williams picked it up. And then now she's on HBO, like season five. And I love it, you know? So it's, a lot of it has to do with more user generated content, um, which will then like, because so many people will relate to it, it becomes mainstream. And that's how we shift the mainstream voice. The whole diversity thing, it's not about casting, it's about the writing. That's my biggest thing. Like, you can, you can be like, here's a person of color, here's a token gay person in a role. But it's not about that, it's about like writing the stories and the stories should be written by people who have lived that, you know? Mm-hmm. How does having writers who are writing about their own experiences, how does that help the viewer form their own identity? I think you definitely have to be very careful because when you know when you go to film school and they're like you know write what you know and you're like well I'm a 23 year old I don't I don't know what I'm gonna eat for dinner today I I know very little about the world I I know about my personal experiences but there's obviously a lot of things that are very universally relatable things like that's why a lot of film you know the main themes are like heartbreak or friendships forming or et cetera, et cetera. So you kind of like build upon that. But I think being aware of what you're writing so that you realize that it's not a one way street. So when I see writers and I'm not a big, I'm, I love film and I love cinema and I love like the beauty of it, of the art. But when sometimes when I watch like art, artsy films, like abstract films, and I can tell that whoever the filmmaker was, was having like a one-sided conversation and they just wanted to make something aesthetically pleasing. But this did not benefit me in any way. I did not relate to it in any way other than to appreciate like the framing of the shots. But if you think about creating content in a way that's like, I'm having a conversation with people and I'm also indirectly going to influence a lot of people, then you can kind of like write your own story, but being more keen to other people's experiences. Cool. Yeah. Love it. I think, uh, interestingly, the rise of social media has kind of given a voice to those that are underrepresented, as you were talking about earlier. Um, so I think the, the diversity of representation maybe is helped by social media. Kevin, what do you think about this? So, I, oh, I have, I have some thoughts about this. So growing up, obviously, like as a white man, I had a ton of roles that I, in in the popular media, that I could be like, oh yeah, here's like, here's this little white boy hanging out, doing something, Boy Meets World, what's up, Corey Matthews? Uh, I relate to that. But there was always um, an element of my identity completely missing, like, that I couldn't really even try to describe to myself before I stumbled upon a beautiful, beautiful site called Tumblr. Uh, Tumblr, it's not just for porn. Um, <laughs> Tumblr, it's not just for people posting aesthetic pictures of crushed roses. So I got into Tumblr as like a, a 13 or 14 year old because all of my like alt edgy friends were like, haha, check out my Tumblr, like posting pictures of them at like 14 with an unlit cigarette in their hands being like, check it out, I'm cool as hell. So I got into Tumblr and I found on Tumblr that 
there were a lot of openly queer people just talking about their experiences as gay people who weren't closeted and they were just opening openly living their lives as gay people um and at that time i was fully in the closet and being in the closet is a very weird place to be um because in a way you don't really understand that you're gay um and this is me talking about my own experience as like a cis gay man there's a huge diversity of experience across the LGBTQ spectrum, but um, I didn't really like even know that I was gay, which sounds strange, but there, I knew that I didn't fit in with everyone else um, and that there was something kind of off, but until I had that representation that I could see on Tumblr of people openly living their lives as queer individuals um, and not like hating themselves or like expecting damnation or anything, uh, I just couldn't, I genuinely couldn't process my queer identity. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Wild. So thank you, Tumblr. Um, so that's why I think that social media, like the representation um, that you can get of identities that aren't in the mainstream uh, is incredibly important. It, in a way, allows people who are... Um, in a way marginalized or othered by the stream of the popular culture to present some form of representation, um, which is super helpful for people who are 13, 14, 15 in the prime of their identity formation process to see and to act on. I have a question for you, Kevin. Hit me with your question, Zach. What do you think about identity fluidity across different social media platforms because obviously we aren't the same person on Facebook as we are on LinkedIn, as we are on Twitter, as we are on Tumblr. There's there's different nuances to each of those, right? So how do you think that affects our perception of our real physical identity when we're kind of tweaking our identity within each like online profile that we have? I think a lot of the more mainstream social media sites, the sites that you would be friends with people who you are in, quote, the real world, and also you're friends with them online and in the real world, I think those sites are a lot less helpful in identity exploration, um, and instead they kind of solidify the identity that you've already formed. So I think that identity solidification is reflected in, like, when people talk about their online brands. Everyone has a brand. We're all brands. I'm a brand, you're a brand, we're a brand. <laughs> like, I want to use my Instagram as, like, this this openly expressive form of, like, me practicing my identity. But if it gets too real, or, like, if it gets to a point where I'm like, oh, this is something that's nuanced about me that doesn't necessarily fit what everyone thinks my, like, Instagram brand is, I'll fully delete it, I'll have it, like, up formatted it in stories for like an hour, go back and forth, like, um, should I post this? That'd be like really vulnerable and honest of me. Oh, but then people might be like, why is Kevin doing this? Like, and it, it all goes back to me not wanting to mess up my Instagram brand. So the process of identity formation is obviously a discussion. Um, it can't exist. Like you can't just go sit in a cave for a year 
and be like, oh, I'm working on my identity. <laughs> I've got it. I've, yeah. I'm finally this got it. This is my identity. That's now Batman did it, but whatever. <laughs> That's a one-off case. Right. <laughs> um, so, like, obviously, identity formation is it's a discussion. You have to practice your identity. Um, you have to test it out with different people, with different groups. Which is great because you get feedback on your identity that you can accept or reject, and that says a lot. But on social media, like sites like Instagram and Facebook especially, that feedback is instantly commodified. Um, and Based on the number of likes and yes, shares and retweets right. and all of that. So instead it kind of gamifies your identity where instead of being truly expressive, you want to get as much approval as possible. Yeah, so people, instead of going with open, free expression um, and like trying to be playful with their identities online, which I think is done in a lot of more anonymous social networking sites like Tumblr, uh, like Reddit, um, on popular social networking sites that have um, your real life identity attached to your digital identity where your expressions are instantly commodified and you get to see how much people approve of you um, almost instantly the main action of expression online goes away from how can I be playful with my identity, how can I explore new elements of my identity into how can I get as much approval as possible. And I think that's why everyone wants to make anything they do online super relatable. So like, even the most weird, unique moments of your life can suddenly become like this transcendent universal experience by like, oh, that feeling when yeah. To bring it to what we talked about earlier, one of those tweets that went viral about the Danny DeVito bathroom shrine was like, have any of you ever like gone into the bathroom and stumbled upon a shrine behind a paper towel dispenser that leads to a room full of Danny DeVito memorabilia, and then people come in to do a photo shoot while you're there? Like That was how they framed their tweet. Um, to try to make it relatable, and it went viral, but like I think just because it was so unrelatable. Yeah. But again, it's about making like the universality of it, I guess. Yeah, it's like instead of instead of really trying to declare your identity and your like unique individual identity, you want to make yourself. It's us. That you could be anyone. It's not me. It's us. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting the way that we use. We have evolved using social media as individuals and then how that's transferred onto like as a collective unit because you know we when we started using I remember when I started using Instagram Instagram like it was very weird it was like oh we're posting these pictures and like we were just jumping on the app because that's what digital natives do you just explore it and then you use it you decide if you're going to stay on it eventually but I just I remember that like you know, now we've sort of collectively realized, like, okay, it's, like, not okay to take, like, duck face mirror selfies anymore. It's, like, not socially... What? (laughs) 
Yeah. This is news to Zach. <laughs> I am going to have to clear out my Instagram feed. <laughs> well, yeah. Catching you up on 2018 Thanks Instagram. Thanks, Appreciate you. Yeah. Duckface <laughs> out. Duckface is out. It's socially, at least, I would hope so. I, I think so. I don't see it on my feed anymore. Um, but, so, even you just saying that, you hope so. Why do you hope so, Kim? <laughs> right, that's a projection of, like, What's wrong my, with Duckface? Right, right. Because I feel like spaces like Tumblr and Reddit are more for like thoughts, like trains of train of thoughts. Thoughts or thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Tumblr is definitely for thoughts. It's for a a a me. Yeah. Sorry, I'm a thought. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've made a lot of like virtual friends on Instagram. I I definitely like slide into people's DMs nowadays, which I didn't think I was gonna ever do, especially because of like the negative like connotation about that. But I, you know, uh, through like my business, I reached out to a few like female tech entre- entrepreneurs and like met them in real life, and now we have awesome like relationships and friendships. So it's sort of like connecting and like feeling more comfortable that like. Oh, I can relate to these people, and I can explore my identity. But ultimately, like the downside about exploring your identity only in this almost—I want to say almost like a vacuum—when you're doing it in places that are based off of anonymity, like then you you have to close your computer, and the next day you have to get up for school or work, and you have to confront the real quote unquote real world. Mm-hmm. Um, but like forming my gay identity. Like spaces like Tumblr were so important because it gave, it allowed that space that I could just close up at the end of the day, and I didn't have to bring it into the real world until it was ready. Incubate your identity. Yeah, yes. I got to uh, so like speak. sit on it for a while. Mama chicken <laughs> sitting on an egg. Okay, so maybe I'm just nostalgic for a time of my life when social media helped me form my identity and I just want social media to always continue to help me evolve and change my identity or maybe I'm just like cynical that consumerism has just completely infiltrated every aspect of social media and now everything I see is branded content definitely so uh, I think everything that we do and see now is branded basically like what we wear is branded i'm wearing a portland trailblazer shirt right now that's a brand um kevin has nikes on kim has also nikes on <laughs> so i have nikes on right like uh, uh speaking of which nike looking for sponsors yeah just do it um but there are connotations that go with like what we wear right if someone's wearing um nike we think a certain way about them that's part of their identity if they wear Lululemon, we think a certain way about them, right? That, that yes, becomes part of their identity. Um, what we watch is branded. The, the channels we watch, ESPN or TMZ or E or the cooking channel, whatever, all of those carry certain connotations about how we view the world and how we want the world to view us. Again, where we go, where we shop, what we eat, what we drink, all of this is branded. And online, we can't escape brand messages. Uh, I looked up a an article about brand messaging um, that said the average consumer is exposed to up to 10,000 brand messages a day from actual like advertisements and commercials to um, sponsored content on social media sites 
to even just like people wearing t-shirts with brands on them. Um, and so 10,000 a day, I did some math that if we're awake for 17 hours a day, which is the healthy amount of time to be awake every day, um, 10,000 ads divided by 17 hours is 588 ads per waking hour. Wow. If you divide that down even further, it is almost 10 ads per waking minute every day, um, which is staggering how many brands we see every day. Um, so much so that we kind of become numb to it and I think we lose sight of the fact that these shape our identities so much. I would say I do remember a time when Instagram did not have paid ads yet. Oh, simpler times. Yeah. <laughs> and now I, you know, it's, it's very bad for people who, like me who are kind of addicted to online shopping because I will find something, something will pop up on my stories and be like, you need this new coat, you need this new face cream solution. Um, not only is it the paid content, but it makes, it, it makes sense when you factor in, you know, when friends of mine post like, I'm at such and such cafe, that's branded content. Yeah. Even if they're not being paid for it, but I think it's 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 created this sort of culture. Even when you look at brands that are like very minimalist, and it's more about like it, it's it's almost like a social experiment, right? So I don't know if you guys know of like Tyler, the creator, his his like line of uh, clothing. Mm -hmm. It's it's what your grandpa would wear. It is grandpa clothing. And when I looked at it, the, when I saw the lookbook, I was like. This kid is really just trying to mess with people. Like, he just wants... He's trolling. To, he's trolling people so hard into wearing, like, these cable knit sweaters and fanny packs and, like, sandals. Well, it could be that he's trolling, or that's just what people want. So, like, I don't necessarily think it's... Well, he could just be trolling. He fully could just it's be trolling. It's his personality everyone. a little bit. Um... But I think that, like, this return to minimalism and, like, normcore um, is... Have you guys heard the term normcore? I have not. Okay. Yes, but it's so Intrigued. weird. So normcore is basically just, like, you want to dress as plainly as possible, like, white, new balances, chinos, a plain shirt. Normcore. Um, and a lot of people think that like this return to normalcy is a direct response to people being uncomfortable with how much branded content has like invaded their identities. So they want to just get rid of all of that and in a way Normcore has become their new identity, not as an organic representation of who they are, but as a rejection of the idea that they need these brand symbols and like their purchasing patterns to represent who they are. Hmm. Um, I find myself being drawn to a lot of these brands, like Everlane. I don't know if you guys have heard yes. of Everlane. Everlane's one of my favorite brands. It's like all just normal basics. For so much money. But they say that it's like for less. It doesn't, anyway. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm like a sucker for brands that and, like, the entire concept of Brandless, which is a giant, like, food housing store brand, I'm so attracted to those because it makes me feel like I'm beating this consumeristic commodified society. Well, 
Can I push back on that? Push back. Okay, because as someone, I I come from a pretty decent like middle upper middle class background, but I went to very diverse schools and I was in schools with people who were very much low income or you know low resources. So when I see this whole minimalist thing, and when I see things that should cost ten dollars. But because they're selling it as normcore, so they bump it up to a hundred, and I'm like, well, I I don't like that this whole branding has created also you know the sort of like it's the same issue with you know kids getting shot over Jordans like, but now with white t-shirts or with t-shirts that have like the word Thrasher on them or Supreme, which you could easily you know, argue that, oh, these are like minimalists, these are like t-shirts, it's literally just a block of text. Um, but I do think that it does, it is a little problematic sometimes, because then like, we get into the whole like, classicist, like who gets to, like, like when I would walk into like cafes, where it's like minimalist, and it's all like concrete and white, and it's like all about the coffee, and then I, I pay, I buy into it, I pay for a $6.50 black coffee, eight ounce <laughs> and it tastes like dirt like water with dirt but I'm buying into the experience so I can take a picture of it for Instagram because it's like brands recognize that we're sick of constant branding so they're like oh you can get away from that branding if you pay us more money <laughs> and I'm like cool and here's literally all of my money <laughs> Well, my tea is getting a little cold, and we all know what that means. It's time for Kevin's cold take. Kevin, what do you have for us today? Just be yourself. Yourself is a completely constructed thing based on uh, brand messages and which social media sites you use and uh, the film and TV that you watch, but doesn't mean you should stop being yourself. Excellent. As always, thank you, Kevin. Uh, and thank you, listeners, for bearing with us. Thank you, Kim, for joining us today. We really appreciated your time and your input. Thank you, guys. This was fun. Awesome. If you would like to reach out uh, with responses or requests for future topics or guest features, please look to the show description for contact information. And thank you again for joining us. This is Zach and Kevin and Kim signing off. <laughs> Bye.